four and five year olds can be dismissed to Children's Church. And while they're heading out, let me just invite you to take your Bibles. And I will confess to you, I'm going to be all over the place this morning. But uh, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. You know, when we come together, let me just before I get into the message, when we come together and we worship together through song, shouldn't it make us realize how wonderful heaven will be? I couldn't help but think through all of that. that and I don't want this to be judgmental or cliche at all. But if you didn't find yourself enthralled in that, liking that, loving what we just did together as a church, then you will not enjoy heaven. And, and, and you're not prepared then for heaven. Because heaven will be filled with, is filled, will be filled with the praises of the angels, the praises of the people of God throughout the rest of eternity around the throne of our King. And that's what we did just now, singing together. Amen? Amen. I appreciate Benny leading us uh, to worship through song this morning. Well, I want to ask you this morning, what are we doing here? Why are we here? What are we, what are we doing here? What's the church all about? Are we here just to perpetuate things? Are we here just to continue traditions? Are we here just to go through the routine of our lives? Are we here, are you here just because it is Sunday morning? Do we gather together? Are we constituted as a church simply because 180 or so years ago, there was a group that came together and we've been together ever since. Or are we here at the very direction, and the very effort, and the very sovereignty, and the very providence of God Almighty? I want to show you this morning. I want to show you in Scripture. I want to do a little more teaching this morning than I want to do preaching. That's why I'll be all over the place in Scripture. I will not be in one particular text. I have, for the better part of Two years now, I've been going through the book of Mark. We've taken breaks along the way, but I typically preach through sections of a book, verse by verse, walking through the entire book together. And we will return to that. But this week, I want to take a time out because I want to teach you the theology of the church. What is the doctrine of the church? Why are we here? And then I want to, at the close of this message, I want to recast our vision today. It's important that we do this periodically. Some of you right now, that may not sound like a good idea to you, but it is important that we come back and we remember why we exist. We are not here to be in competition with other churches in an association. We are here at the very sovereignty and the direction and the providence of God Almighty. So let me just walk through this and um, we'll let God do His thing through the teaching of His Word. The church, let me just start off with this. The church has been the very plan of God from the beginning. Do you know that? The church was no afterthought. The church is not something that man invented. The church has been God's plan from the very beginning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. 
written in a context of husbands loving your wives. But the verse says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you understand that the church is something that God himself has sacrificed for greatly? That you and I don't own Abner Creek. That God owns Abner Creek because God has bought Abner Creek. God has bought His church. Those who are His. Called them to Himself. This is His because He has sacrificed greatly for it. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Not only has God sacrificed greatly for the church, this church and every other church that is a true church. Not only that, but God Himself will lead every church. Do you understand that? God Himself will lead it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. And He put, God put all things under His, Christ's feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. Fullness of Him who fills all in all. The church has been God's plan from the beginning. He has sacrificed greatly for it. He Himself will lead it. God will lead His church. Not only that, but God Himself will build it. Matthew sixteen eighteen says, I will build my church. Jesus speaking in the first person there. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Acts 2.47 and what some call the birth of the church, the new church being started when in actuality it's a continuation of the work of God that he started in Abraham. Acts 2.47 says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to see, church, this morning. I don't want to come in a prideful way. I don't want to come in the flesh. But I want you to see that the church is the very plan of God. He has sacrificed greatly for it. He is our leader. He will lead it. And He will also build it. He is building His church. Why? Why? Why would God do this? Why would God put together a people called the church? The answer is very simply because He is worthy to be worshipped. This is what God has been doing from the very beginning. God has been calling a people to worship Him, to follow Him, to fear Him, to walk in obedience to Him, to learn from Him, to be close to Him, not because He is deficient in Himself. He was not lonely. He had perfect fellowship in the Trinity. But He has chosen to create us. When we rebelled against Him, then He has ever since been calling people back to Himself. Because He's worthy to be worshipped. It's not something deficient in Him. What was it that He said to Pharaoh when He told Moses, tell him, let my people go? Why did He want them to be let go? It was so that they could go into the wilderness and worship Him. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10 looks back to Exodus 19. Looks back to the conversation between God and Moses, the giving of the Ten Commandments, 
Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10 says, The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. That seems like an obscure verse to pull out here. It's talking about that God has gathered the church to himself, sacrificed greatly for it, leading it himself, building it himself, because he's worthy to be worshipped. But it's not obscure at all. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, when God said to Moses, gather the people to me, when that later was translated for the New Testament people, translated from the Hebrew to the Greek, it was translated there, the word is the same word where we get our word, ekklesia, which is the church. It's the called out ones. It's the gathering of the church. That's why the writer of Hebrews can say in chapter 12, verse 1, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Because God, from the very beginning, not from the days of Peter and Pentecost, but way before that, God from the days of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God has been calling a people to Himself because He's worthy to be worshipped. Do we gather together here today for any other reason than that? If we do, then shame on us. If we come to perpetuate our traditions, if we come to protect our securities, hear me, then we come with wrong motives. We come having made this thing about us and it is not about us. God has gone to great lengths throughout history for the church because He is worthy. We are not the point. He is. Modern ecclesiology has gotten this thing upside down. Modern church theology, modern ecclesiology says that we are the point. The church exists for me. We see this in seeker-sensitive churches all across the land that create consumer models where they attract people into the building with what they can offer to the people. If the children's ministry or the youth ministry is not all that good, then we can't expect people to come, can we? If there's not coffee here and recliners there, we can't expect people to come, can we? If it's not this kind of music or that kind of music, we can't expect people to come, can we? When we build churches like that, we say that the reason people should gather is because of what we can offer them. And the reality is, the reason people should gather is because of what He has offered them. The only thing that we can say today that we have for you is what God has done for us, He also will do for you in His grace. We are broken, sinful people who have been forgiven, made right, received to the Father, made in a right relationship with Him. We're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We are becoming what we are not. We are living in the already, but we are also living in the not yet. We are headed toward a world that will be so much better than this. And we stand on those things and we offer those things and we hold out the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing worth gathering around. It's the grace of 
God. We see this illustrated in the metaphors that the Bible uses for the church. You ever thought about those? All those things that the Bible calls us? The Bible calls us as, as a church, calls us a family. Oftentimes refer to us as the faith family here at Abner Creek. Why do you think God called us a family? I think God called us a family because when we come together around His glory, truly appreciative of His grace, and we see ourselves as a family, it should increase our love and fellowship with one another. 1 John 2, verses 9-10 through 10 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, he's still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The Bible also calls us the bride of Christ. Do I want my wife, my bride, going out and entertaining flirtatious behavior from other men? No. I'll get jealous in a heartbeat. I will throw down. I will throw down, you know. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Why? Because I want her commitment to be to me. And I want to be committed to her. And I want there to be purity in the relationship. In the same way, God calls those of us who are members of His church to be pure and holy, devoted to Him. He calls us branches in the vine. And we see ourselves as being branches in the vine. It should cause us to rest in Him. Have you ever looked out at a bush and seen a bush just shaking because the branches attached to the vine were trying so hard to produce fruit? You don't ever see that. You see the branches just resting. They are resting in the vine. The vine provides what is needed to produce the fruit. The Bible calls us as the church the crops. We are a crop to be harvested. It should cause us to want to continue to grow in our understanding and application of the Christian life. To strive for. Not, Not that we're not resting in Christ, but now that we are resting in Christ, we realize that we don't have to do these things in order to be approved by God, but because we are approved by God, we get to enter into this thing called discipleship. And it should cause us to want to grow in our understanding of God and understand what it means to follow Him and to apply it to our lives. The Bible calls us, the church, the temple of God. When we see ourselves as the temple of God, it should increase our awareness of God's very presence dwelling in our midst when we meet. Do you understand that that God never leaves us or forsakes us? If we are believers, if we're children of God, then He is always with us. He indwells us. But do you understand that there is something special, something that is beyond explanation? When we gather together as the church and we lift the praises of our God, there is some way that God meets with us that is uncommon when we are apart. How could, how could someone who knows Christ has had their sin 
eradicated in the eyes of the great judge. Have been adopted into the family of God. Been called to heaven one day. How could someone depart and never participate in the life of the local gathering of the church week in and week out? The mark of it is that we are the crop to be harvested. We should look to each other to spur one another on. We are the temple of God. We should want to gather together to praise God, to be with Him in this special way. The Bible calls us as the church His priesthood. It should cause us to want to please God with sacrifices of praise and obedience. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, it says, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As the priests, it should spur us on to offer the sacrifices of praise and obedience to our God. There are many others. One of the final ones I'll give you, though, the final one I will give you is that the Bible calls us, the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ should foster a growing sense of interdependence on one another. It should foster this sense of community, of wanting to be together. Do you know, I looked up this week, I heard another pastor use this as an illustration. I thought it was a great illustration. I'm not a gardener. I rely on other people to uh, to keep me in vegetables. Um, not a gardener, but uh, there is a staple in um, uh, in the Hispanic culinary world called a tomatomillo. I think that's I'm, I'm probably butchering that. Uh, we we used to have these little things growing up. These little I, I did I butchered that didn't I? But we used to have these little things called um, these little little tomatoes growing up in East Tennessee. We called them Tommy toes. That's not what I'm talking about. You know what Tommy toes are? That's not it. The tomatomillo is this green fruit in the tomato family it, it literally the means is that right polo am i butchering that am i good okay polo says i'm good and none of the rest of you are experts and he is so it's the tomato verde the green tomato and it grows on a vine but the thing is it has to be cross-pollinated and you can't take one of these and plant it by itself and expect it to produce any fruit it will continue to produce leaves, but it will not produce fruit. You take another one, though, and you put it next to it, and you plant those things together, and they will cross-pollinate, and you will harvest these tomatomillos. That's a picture of what the church is to be. It's us planting our lives next to one another, in community, spurring one another on to growth and the production of fruit for the glory of God. Now, based on God's sacrifice, His leadership, His building of, His worth, His extensive communication as to what we are to be, let me ask you this question as your pastor, as lovingly as I possibly can, as genuinely as I possibly can, then should we take the church lightly? We should not. That's why we have come to the place where we are in, at Abner Creek today. 
We have inscribed on our walls. We've put it on our bulletin. We've put it on the website. Everywhere out there you see, when you see Abner Creek Baptist Church, you see that logo. And hopefully somewhere around it you see our vision statement. We are striving to be real people. Experiencing real worship. Having lives that are being really changed. And finding real purpose. Because of what Christ has done in us. Let me just break this down for you just very quickly. I've done this before. It's been some months since I've done it. But I want to again communicate it because I think it's important. The first part, real people. In general, when you go out into the community and you talk to someone who is not involved in a church, the church that Jesus sacrificed for, leads, is building because he's worthy. When you talk to someone that's outside of the church, you will find a general air of skepticism. People along the way have either been convinced that the church is a hoax or that the church is full of hypocrites. And they have generally been burned and they don't really want to have anything to do with the church. Well, here at Abner Creek, we want to change that perception. We want to create people, a culture where it is okay to be real. We want to be a church where people can remove their masks, admit their struggles and receive help in living out their faith. Now, here's what this means. Very simply, I tried to boil this down. I've never said this to you, but this is what I think this statement means. We want to create a culture, a church culture. We want God to create this culture where it is okay to be real. I've said that part to you, where it's okay to be real. We want you to come in and be real. We don't want you to put on the mask and hide behind and everything is plastic smile and everything's good. When everything on the inside is not good and you're not living for the glory of God and you're, you're trying to appear that way before people, but you're not. Look, I don't love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, mind, and strength. I don't do that all the time. If I stood up here and told you that I did, you, you better be worried. We need to create a culture where it's okay to be real. To sometimes not smile. But here's the part that I've never said to you. We also want to create a culture where it's hard to live in hypocrisy. These are two separate things, I think. We want to create this culture where it's okay to be real. But there are sometimes that's construed as, well, I can wear my jeans and I can come in and I can, I can do whatever I want to do. I can, I, can, you know, I can drink my coffee and I can take it in when, you know, when I'm not supposed to and all that sort of thing. I, I can do all that. And we think, well, I'm just being real. But in reality, you're being real, but never being pushed to Christ-likeness. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but I'm saying that, that's sometimes, that's not what we're saying. We want you to be real. We want you to be able to wear your jeans or your suit. Your sweater vest, you know, or your t-shirt. We want you to be able to be real in those ways, but we don't want you to come in and use that to hide behind. You've moved from a plastic smile to a t-shirt, and you're hiding behind that as well. We want to create a culture where it is okay to be real, and it's hard to live in hypocrisy. 
Well, how are we going to do that? Three things. Real worship. We want to create, and I think, I think we have come a long way toward this. We want to create a culture where people have a passionate worship experience. There was a point in my worship this morning that there's an element where it is private, but we can't come together and say that we're privately worshiping apart from one another because we've corporately gathered. And there was a point in my worship this morning where I couldn't help. I found myself just jumping over there. And I'm a Baptist pastor. I'm not supposed to do that. And I remember thinking, Wallace is behind me. I wonder what Wallace is thinking. Was he? Okay, that's good. That's good. But we want to create a passionate worship experience where people truly encounter and glorify God. It's not jumping and all of that kind of stuff for that that sake. We're not wanting to create this just chaotic environment. That's not it. We want people to truly encounter and glorify God. And we're going to do that through a modern blend of God-focused lyrics. This vision statement will change through the years. Scripture's the only thing that doesn't change. This vision statement will probably change, but I can remarkably say that this part of the vision has not changed much since two years ago when I rolled it out to you. We're going to worship through a modern blend of God-focused lyrics, through relevant biblical preaching, and at times through creative arts and media that enhances both. The goal is not for us to have a style. The goal is for us to come together and sing the songs that we sing because they focus on what God has done and who God is. And it evokes this response from us. God is worthy and we are needed. We, we sang a song this morning. I had no idea many was going to sing this. But we sang the Isaiah 6 song. In the year that King Uzziah died, I looked and I saw God seated on his throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah came to the place where he said, Woe is me, for I am unclean. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And just before he died, the king on the throne sends the angel to the altar, takes the coal, the live coal from the altar, and he touches it with the tongs to the lips of Isaiah and cleanses him. That's what we want. I pray so many times for you in this corporate gathering that we would come together and we would see God on His throne and we would see ourselves in our sin and it would create in us an awareness of our need. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I would encourage you to be here. I would encourage you to commit yourself to be here. To live in community. Not just to show up to take a seat, but to live in community. To come together corporately at this time so that we can gather together, glorify God together, encounter Him in such a way that it changes us week in and week out. We need that for one another. Third, real change. Real change begins in the heart. 
Only Jesus can change a person's heart. People's lives will be changed as we proclaim the gospel. This has been my conviction for some time. It will remain my conviction. That's why I will continue to preach through books of the Bible. That's why I will continue to bring to you not what I think, but what God has already spoken. What He's already written. You don't need me to just write sermons. What you need me to do is you need me to systematically open the Word of God, study to find out what is in the Word of God, show that to you, apply that to your life, so that I will not just preach to you my pet peeves, but I will preach to you the things that are in the Word of God, and I will preach them unashamedly. And there are times, i got to tell you, there are times when... Monday through Saturday, oh, I'm dreading it because it's a topic that I don't want to deal with. I don't want to come and say to you some of the things I have to say to you. It would be much easier for me to come and and you like me. And I tell you sweet little things about how you can be better parents or how you can love your spouse better or how to get your dog to sit or whatever. But those things will not. They will not last. And let's face it, if the reason God has gathered His church to Himself is because He is worthy, then we don't need sermons that are about us. Real change happens as God changes us. We will continue to proclaim the gospel. That change will be sustained and propelled through Bible study, intentional relationships, Communion, as we celebrate communion together. As we serve together. As we gather for prayer and teaching together. That's when real change will happen. In Colossians 1.28, this is the goal of my ministry. The goal of my ministry is the same goal that Paul had for his when he wrote Colossians. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone mature in Christ. I think it is crucial. I've been charged with the task. I will stand before God one day giving an account for you, is what Scripture says. I don't want to stand there and say, God, I squandered that opportunity. I feared man more than I feared you. And I gave them what they wanted instead of what they needed. My goal as a 37-year-old pastor is to present every one of you mature in Christ. And I realize that for some of you, that, that's conceited of me. 37 years old when some of you are more than twice my age. I can't do anything about my age. But I can be faithful to what God has called me to. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why we're here, is to be really changed so that we reflect His glory to the world. 
real purpose, number four, finally, is this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have been given, the the one purpose for our lives is to make disciples of all nations. That means people of Greer and Duncan and Reedville and Woodruff, Greenville and Spartanburg and all of this region. But it also means that we would, as a church, make disciples in East Asia, in Europe, Australia, in Africa. We would make disciples in South America, that we would make disciples in Canada, that we would look beyond ourselves and we would see that there are people out there who have little to no access. In the days to come, I'm working to put together a team. And on that team, one of the goals for that team is I want us as a church to engage, to adopt an unreached people group somewhere in the world. An unengaged, unreached people group somewhere in the world. Where we would commit ourselves long term to them. We would commit to go to them, to pray for them, to give to them. To take the gospel that we along with other churches all across America and around the globe. That we would commit together to do what he's told us to do in Matthew 28. And this is not just something that we, this big body of the church should do. If it's ever going to be this body, the church, to do it, it's got to start with you as individuals to do it. It starts where you work and you live and you play. And the way we will do this is we will take Christ to our immediate community through strategic events and ministries and Christ-focused missional living. One of the ways we'll do this just here in, in a few weeks is the fall festival. We will come together, and this is one of the only times a year where there will be probably over a thousand people show up on our campus to eat hot dogs and ride on wagons and get candy and play games and all the while not realizing that the reason we're doing it is to give them the greatest gift that we ever received. We will also take Christ to the nations through ongoing short-term mission trips and hopefully through these long-term partnerships like unreached people groups that we will engage and adopt. The church exists. We are here. Not for ourselves. We don't own it. God sacrificed for it. He leads it. He builds it. Because He's worthy. We've put together what we believe is a vision statement that will lead us to do those things, to to accomplish what we need to for Him. And in just a few minutes, we've also put together a document. We've put together a document at the close of this service. We'll go into a business session. And the bylaws revision committee has been working for over a year, better part of two years, almost my entire tenure here, to to write this document. And I stand before you as your pastor, and I wholeheartedly, without any hesitation, ask you, to affirm this document, to approve this document today. The committee stands behind it. 
The deacons that worked with it have approved it. They stand behind it. And we today believe that this document will allow us to better do these things. This is not my way. We believe that this is what God would have us to do going into the future. So I'm asking you, as members of this this faith family, this body, this bride of Christ, I'm asking you to affirm and approve this document today. I would not be your pastor if I didn't ask you to do that. So I'm asking you unashamedly to do that. We'll do that at the close of this service. But now, there may be some of you here today who've never, you've never come to the realization that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't want to just tack this on at the end, but if today the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you of your need of salvation, then in just a minute I'll be here at the front. I would love to receive you. I'd love to show you how you can enter into this following of Christ. Today, if you're here, you may say, this is the church where God's leading me. I want to join this church. Today, I'll be here to receive you. If you've gone through the membership class or if you're interested, willing to go through the membership class when it's offered again, and you've not made that commitment to us yet, we would love to encourage you to do that. Today, you may need to just get on your face and just confess some things to God. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. If we say we haven't sinned, then we lie. But God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we will come to him, confess our sin to him, and receive his forgiveness. Whatever it is, in these next few minutes, Benny comes. Benny's going to lead us in a time of reflection, thought, and then in a time of response. And I would encourage you to respond appropriately however God has led you today. Don't harden your heart, but respond however God has led you today. Let's pray together.